Hey, this is Zuri Berry. Before we get to the podcast, I want to tell you why this project is so important to Donnell and me. We started this with the goal of telling the stories of journalists who look like us in this industry we love. We want to recognize talent, celebrate achievement, and give some flowers to some people who are really deserving to have the spotlight put on them. But also, it's really important that we hear from our fellow black journalists at this particular moment in time when our industry has enormous challenges and our presence as commentators, experts, political writers, on-air talent, and investigative reporters seem optional to some. That doesn't sit right with me, and I hope it doesn't sit right with you either. I hope you're here to hear just as much about the successes as you are about the struggles, whether it's the struggle to get that first job to find a space where you feel like you belong, to find the bravery to strike out on your own or to have your voice heard, whether it's about the current state of media or otherwise. And so we want to thank you for supporting us by listening. And we want to ask you for your direct support of the production of this podcast. You can do that by going to buymeacoffee.com slash black journos and donating today. That's buymeacoffee.com slash black journos. You can find the link in the show notes. Thank you. Now, on to the interview. This is the Black Journalist on Journalism podcast, a ZMC podcast production. Hello and welcome to another episode of Black Journalist on Journalism. We are here today with my partner in crime, Zoe Berry, hey. and our special guest, Miss hey. Nikki Mayo. Nikki, how are you? Hey, thank you for having me on here, guys. I love it. Uh, welcome, welcome. Yeah, very, very nice to have you. And uh, just as a FYI to our listeners and viewers, Nikki and I go way back to our times in NABJ Region 1 conference yes. wrangling. Deputy directors. Yeah. <laughs> she was uh, president, uh, now like president emeritus of the Baltimore Association of Black Journalists. I was the VP in the Boston chapter. And so we did a lot of work together to uh, get some uh, regional conferences together. And I'm currently chair of the membership committee for NABJ, so nice. can't get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we definitely want to touch to. on that. Every time I try to get out, they keep pulling me back in, so I give up. <laughs> we definitely want to touch on our NABJ and the importance of that, uh, your career there. And we want to start with just how are you doing? What are you doing these days? What's going on? Okay, I always tell people I'm doing a little bit of everything. And the most important part is that I get to be in charge. I never knew I wanted to be a manager until I had so many bad ones. And that kind of motivated me to say that it's time for me to uh, really walk strongly in my producerdom because I was always fluctuating and I still do. I do on air and I do behind the scenes as a producer. But um, yeah, you have one too many mismanagement situations. You're like, maybe I need to be the manager at this point. So everything from promotional videos, social media campaigns, I met her at large for Black Women Unmuted, which is a website devoted to Black women in politics and policymaking spaces. So these election years are very vital and it incorporates a lot of my background as a politics uh, government reporter over and over and over again. So I enjoy kind of having the power to finally say, I want to work on these projects and not always following a siren because, you know, death, injury, and destruction, the DID of journalism, that was a lot of my career. And um, as you kind of mentioned earlier, like, yeah, I was kind of still dabbling in the DID of journalism still, but I like being in control of what do I get to cover. Can you can you walk us through your mm -hmm. career arc? Because I, I think people <laughs> um, may come and, and see the Nikki on social and they, they, you know, they'll see black women unmuted, but they don't see all of the work that you've put in over the years, particularly in broadcasting. And I'm someone who's familiar, but I'd love for you to inform our audience. All right. I'm going to give the Cliff Notes version because I do not want to lose your listeners. I, uh, <laughs> I know it's a lot. I was always a speech and debate kid, so that kind of pushed me directly into journalism as a youngster. Went to Syracuse University, one of the best communication schools in the country, and believe it or not, I didn't actually go to that school. I forged my way into every class that I wanted to. So you see a theme here, like, if I can't get in, I'm going to make a way no matter what, right? Away. Yeah, so I have two degrees, and neither one of them is in broadcast journalism. They're in African-American studies and communications and rhetorical studies. These we call speech communication. 
I interned my butt off. I joined NABJ super early. We're talking like my sophomore year, maybe into my freshman year. And it's from that that I've always had people from NABJ telling me, okay, this is how you do your career. Like the cheat codes, you know, like a video game. Uh, so um, interned at BET, interned at the uh, ABC affiliate in Baltimore. Got a job at BET fresh out of school. Went from there by the time, you know, 2001, the world blew up. Viacom had owned uh, BET. Went from BET to WJZ13, another Viacom-owned property. Uh, from there, I went to um, uh, CTV76 and was a reporter, producer. I also had an opportunity to go teach high school at one point where I taught speech, <laughs> journalism, and yearbook. Uh, from there, I went to Sarasota, Florida. And it was a 24-hour station that was owned by the New York Times. And um, I think it's called the Sarasota Herald Tribune, um, SNN 6. It was a, one of those, uh, we were in that whole convergent market thing where everything was together in one spot. So I went from Sarasota, Florida to Appalachia, worked in Johnson City, Tennessee. And again, did the whole, you got to do all of them. So morning live shot reporter, run the website, write for the newspaper at the same darn time. Uh, Buffalo, New York was where I started a station called SNN6, now known as Spectrum News Buffalo. That was my very first time launching something, and it showed me that how did this really work. Had a goal to get home before I turned 30. So I came back home around 30, 31. I started at Crofton Patch, got to launch that sucker again. So again, feeling how, how does something go together? How do you launch something? Um, then I launched another show, um, The List on EW Scripts, which is still going, but it started with local correspondent. And from there, uh, I did a quick set. Actually, no, I did three whole years, three years for the Associated Press radio team. And then from there, Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Tribune, then back down here saying, OK, you know what? No more with the moving. Cannot do any more moving. And now I'm like officially Nikki Mayo News, LLC. I'll do a day job here and there, but the passion comes from the, the different stories I'm able to tell for different clients. Nikki, where did you teach high school? Where was that? Oh, Flowers High School in Prince George's County. Mm. Yeah. Mm. In fact, I think it was like the second, if not the third year that Flowers is a brand new school, uh, that it was in, in, in uh, the district. And my students didn't know how old I was. They just knew I was a younger teacher. So it is really freaky when I walk around and like I'll go to church in particular and you'll run into old students and they can't remember where they know you from. And they're like, didn't we go to right. high school together? I'm like, kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. There was an eight-year difference between me and my students. And wow. um, they're now finding that out. They didn't know before. I lied so many times. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm short. I did. I, I like this now at 43. So I'm like, I did not look oh, my dang. age remotely at anybody's 24. So I, yeah, it was a struggle. Yeah, yeah. And you still do some teaching, don't you? Um, whenever asked. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. I even have it over here on my vision board that I'm going to do classroom visits. So, so far this year, we're sitting at April, right? I've done three different classroom visits nice. and I do them at all different age levels. Uh, my preferred age level is high school. Um, I have been invited to teach at the college level several times and I might jump into it. Who knows? But yeah, I taught at a STEM program over in Chevrolet, Maryland, where I was doing the humanities because uh, it was just kind of helping the kids open up a little bit. We've all seen how kids can kind of like be nervous around with people they don't know. And um, yeah, I still, I can't stay away from the classroom. I really do enjoy teaching. And uh, I don't know, you just have, you know, you have fun until mm. you don't have fun. But you have fun mm. for the most part. So I, I wanted to ask about how you got inspired to get into journalism in the first place, because you just walked us through all of these different stops. And let's talk, I mean, so many journalists, broadcast journalists in particular, but also I would say folks in sports and, and different industries that have to travel the country in order to find the opportunity. Um, you're certainly in that bucket. And, but you have to be passionate about it to want to be able to do this. And so what was it that sparked the passion for you? How did you get in and, and, and who nurtured it, if you will, along the way? Okay, so I was really blessed to be in a market where it was not weird or awkward or rare to see Black women on the news. So growing up in Baltimore, I grew up with the Beverly Burks of the world and Sandra Pinkney's and uh, Janet Roach and those women. Like, I got to see them as I was growing up. I got to see the goal right there. And before wanting to be a journalist, believe it or not, I wanted to be the first Black woman to be on the Supreme Court. 
But then I found out how long you have to go to school after you go to school, after you go to school. I was like, I don't want to do any more school. I'm overachieving and I'm tired of it already. So uh, that kind of turned me off from law. And I knew I wanted to do something where I could use my voice effectively um, to somehow help others and advocate for others. And in journalism, I felt like you can, but you're not. And I was like, you know what? I'm willing to take this much because I love information and history. So the passion came from being a student of history, social studies in particular, love that class. Um, and that's why I got after American studies degree too, that part. Uh, um, a student of history and knowing the importance of um, oratory and how it influences people. And then I realized that some people are nervous in front of cameras and microphones. I'm like, well, I'm not. I am a level 30 extrovert. Like it's extreme. So I knew that this was going to be something that I wanted to do. Uh, the people who ushered me along the way were definitely mentors. I really appreciate those who st took the time out with me because it's not easy. The teacher in me will tell you, like, it's not easy to talk to folks when they're hard headed. And for me, I was just like, listen, I told you I went to undergrad, but I didn't have the major that I wanted to have to get this career. So I was listening to everything they told me to do. And these are people who are still in NABJ today. So I do appreciate the fact that they planted the seeds and they also offered the cultivating and uh, told me like, okay, apply for this, apply for that. And I kind of attempt to model my life uh, like the people who mentored me. I just can't be as, I only have two official mentees. That's all I'm taking on. Because um, they're so intimate with those two that I can, if I have to like pull them up real quick, I can do that. Some folks are not made, and I'm sweet, nice, but some people are just not made for any type of criticism or they don't want to receive it. So I need the one that knows that, okay, we're going into this. We're going into this like teacher, student. You good? All right, cool. Then let's talk about what you need to be doing. And I love that they're on autopilot for the most part. They only hit me up for like, how do I deal with office politics questions now? I love it. I'm like, I feel so proud. I've done so much. There's so much there that was just right there. That's that what you like, I cleaned it up, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I did. <laughs> Nikki, being yes. a student of history, mm -hmm. I wanted to know your thoughts on NABJ and how important it has been to all of us. Everyone on this podcast, everyone that's probably going to be listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. has some affiliation one way or the other. And if they don't, do they need to? Uh, if they're interested in being a journalist or possibly if they're interested in being a media-related member, sure. If not, it's good to know about us, okay? Um, I'm not here in a special capacity as a membership chair. But I am obviously like helping chapters figure out how to shore up their chapters. I like what NABJ does for professionals. I really do. Um, it is a, a legacy black organization. And with that comes, you know, the handicap of things that were founded decades ago. Maybe in time, might be time for a tune up, maybe time for a progressive move or something. But at the same token, I'm never going to discredit the work that an organization that old, like 1975, has done. I appreciate it. I know it had to be hard to be risky at that time. Um, although at 70s, I mean, they, they really were kind of, kind of buck, you know, knuck if you buck if you wanted me. Uh, I've always been an activist and an advocate. So it's like one of those things of like, I like advocating for workforce needs. And it's a good marrying of love journalism. And, um, you know, we'll make sure that journalists are being treated appropriately in our newsroom, that we are getting paid for the same, you know, we're doing the same jobs here and everything like that. And by me sitting in an intersectionality of being a black person and a woman, um, lowballing, wage disparities, <laughs> like a lot of this is like my life. Um, unfortunately, by age, I kind of got stuck in the area where you're fighting people off from harassment, stuff like that. So you need to have like advocacy organizations like NABJ to help you out or to help you navigate this stuff. Like the theme I think of uh, my entire career has been I don't move quickly um, without counsel. And that's where you can constantly, that's where you can find it. Uh, I think some people feel like, oh, I'll figure it out. And like, but it doesn't hurt to check in with people who have navigated these waters already. Mm. Yeah. And just to, to jump on, piggyback on that. And this mm -hmm. is not just for the newbies. What about people mm -hmm. like us that are veterans per se in the business? So, you, you know, you're, I'm 45 years old, so mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily need counsel on how to get a job or navigate office politics. But I like going to my ABJ meetings and ABJ conventions just to, Fellowship. Yes, that's a big part. Um, I, I enjoy it. I mean, I'm one of those stereotypical NABJ babies, as I've described. I did the student projects and all that stuff. So I've known a lot of these people 
whoo, 20 years at this point. You know, like I've known them since we came out of undergrad. It's scary. Um, but it's not just a fellowship thing because that can be a very expensive way to hang out with your friends, okay? I go as a business owner and, you know, I could pan around and show you all this gear and stuff behind me on that side, the green screen side. But I go, honestly, to stop the visual task force people. They know this. I go there. I'm like, what are we doing? What are we doing for the convention? What toys y'all got? Founder Allison Davis, she always has the best stuff. And then it's like everything from, okay, what's the coolest teleprompter app? There's a ton of them, but which one works, y'all? I don't want to waste my time. I want to waste my client's time. I like that aspect of it. And I do think that sometimes uh, journalists are like, I'm a journalist only. I'm like, have you thought about the other roles in journalism that maybe you haven't explored yet? And the conventions are always a great opportunity to kind of hear from, see. And like you said, you can fellowship. It's also, don't forget, we are still networking as established professionals, if you're smart about it. Now, if you want to hold up the bar, I, I ain't mad at you. Go ahead and do that too. But I've learned so many tricks of the trade. I've helped myself off from buying gear that I don't need. Because um, buying a million cameras don't mean you're going to get a good shot, y'all. If you don't know how to use none of these cameras, all the shots going to be trash. So I like going and finding the people like we have photojournalists, we have graphic yes. designers, people who know how to do this stuff. And if you're in a newsroom where you don't feel comfortable going up to the guy or the woman that does these roles, NABJ is a place where you can just kind of slide in DMs like, hey, so, um, like, I don't know if you might see my saga with the DSLR camera that I'm afraid of, but I'm like, so I got this used camera, right? So how do I use this thing? Like, for real, how does this thing work? Like, if I don't like it. I'm a camcorder chick, <laughs> but I'm trying to learn how to use the DSLR. I bought a used one from an NABJ member uh, who was a photographer at, um, our, at the ABC affiliate in Baltimore. And I bought it used because I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm married to this idea, but let me try it out for a bit. And yeah, I'm trying it out for a bit. Still not my primary number one camera, though. It's not going to make it there. I, I love that. There's so many things involved in that. And, and, you know, for me, it's been both the networking, both the fellowships. And, and, and now I feel like, you know, as I get older, it's transitioning and more of my time at NABJ conferences in particular are spent in the hallways and not in the halls. Um, which is, you know, I think a common experience for people as they go through the middle parts of their career or whatever may have you, however, you, however people want to describe me <laughs> where I am. Nikki, I'm wondering, um, you, you talked about NABJ a little bit and sort of being a legacy organization. And I'm just thinking like there's such a, a dynamic there in terms of where the organization is and, and how it's changed. And just where do you see NABJ right now and, and, and where it's progressing? from your perch as a membership coordinator? I will say that membership has always shifted younger because we'll have a lot of folks coming out of undergrad and those prime years, those, I'm sorry, formative years, the numbers are bigger. And then people start to taper off and find other careers. And I don't know, I might be of the unpopular opinion that if they taper off, then it's okay. You know, let's be straight. You know, I'm not here to stay a purist as a journalist and stay broke. That's not my life. It's not my ministry. But I'm here for those who want to do it. Great. But you're going to lose people as they get older and find that there are professions that will pay better. And let's not act like uh, the newsrooms didn't just discover Black people in 2020, right? We were not getting the best treatment in most places. So I need NABJ to continue to be the advocacy organization that it is. Um, I would like them to take a little bit more dramatic moves at times. And I mean, I am more progressive than most of our members. So similar to when NAHJ said we're not messing with Fox anymore. I would have loved to see the same thing from our organization. We haven't done that. So I can privately be like, okay, y'all may not, but as for me in my house, I don't do any, uh, you know, Fox, Breitbart, Newsmax, OAN or o, whatever it's called. I don't do any of those. I have personal objections to the ethical use, of, the ethical or attempts at ethics of these news organizations they're using. So I would like to see a more progressive move, but... Honestly, it's an organization. It's a professional organization at that. And they may not be ready to be as um, bold and progressive as I am. Let me let me ask you about that specifically, because mm -hmm. it feels like this is a moment. I mean, we're recording this on April the 12th and Fox is about to go into a you know, trial with Dominion in this lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And there's serious questions about the ethical nature of their journalism practices. I mean, straight up lying in some instances and others and I mean, we've all sort of uh, witnessed at one point or another a very racist and racial lang racialized language being used mm -hmm. um, in coverage in terms of whether it's Black Lives, Black Lives Matter protests or 
anything that has to do with Trayvon Martin, et cetera, et cetera. I, like, I feel like there's all these incidents over years. Do you think that that is enough impotence for the organization? Like NABJ, which is not just, you know, upholding, um, in my view, not just upholding the, the, the status quo for black journalists now and sort of advancing their equity within the industry, but also upholding journalistic values in, in, in terms of ethics, in terms of truth telling and in terms of advocacy. I don't know if they're ready to be as progressive as I would like them to be. I might sound like I'm like on brand, but this really is me when I'm like whenever asked about this. Uh, whenever I see organizations use such coded language that we know exactly what this coded stuff is standing for, like I'm really uneasy when I hear the woke this, the woke that. Number one, woke is old, okay? Like their black people, their white people came out like 2014 or something like that. So it's it's kind of overused at this point. And woke is code for black. Woke is code for not cis het. Woke is code for anything that's not waspy, okay? And I'm uncomfortable with the fact that, like, uh, me personally, yes, I, there's pictures of me protesting stuff back in 1999, okay? So, obviously, I am Miss, you know, F around and find out and ready to knock if you buck if we got to. But I don't want to expect my organization to do that. Um, I don't see that happening from a legacy Black organization unless they are a civil rights organization. And I have worked for, I left it out, I have worked for, like, the NAACP for the Crisis Magazine. So in those arenas, those are way more on brand for me. Um, I am the person that's going to be very progressive and say, you know what, we can take a stance right here. We can like, you know, not support this thing. But uh, when you're talking about a legacy black organization like NABJ, that's not where I'm going to expect my activism and advocacy to come from. And when they didn't step back from Fox when NAHJ did, that kind of solidified how I feel. It's like, okay, I get it. So I'm here for show me the new cameras. Show me the new video stuff I can use. Show me like what's new in our industry. Uh, you know, I haven't really looked for a job via the organization in a long time. So I have that luxury. But if I'm a newbie and I'm young and I'm just trying to get my foot into the industry, this is what the organization is here for, that professional development. They're not really, you know, they have taken stances. I think the locally, the local chapters take more of a stance than the national does. Because, you know, more close and intimate. And if you pull up any of my stuff, you know, obviously I've been doing that stuff, too. Um, oh, yeah. Baltimore. Oh, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. Are is, there are issues in the market, but we're, I'm like, we can yeah, go all through that. We can get through that for a while. But just know that um, I know that when I'm looking at this organization, I can't expect them to be every aspect of what I want them to be. I can be an advocate in my own right and um, practice advocacy journalism or frankly, frankly, take the hat off and be like, all right, first off, which I'm not going to do. And go in on somebody if necessary. I just don't think that I'm going to get that or expect that from something that started in 1975 and before that. Because uh, they got money to watch out for. And the, let me just tack on there. I mean, there's freedom, obviously, in that, given mm -hmm. your independence. Yep. And so, I mean, that's not something a lot of people who work in, you know, newspapers, corporate media, et cetera, et cetera, or outside of the Black press, for that matter, uh, experience. So, yes, it, you know, I actually just, advise just people. That. I advise people all the time. Like, I get that you want to be uh, loud in the streets. And sometimes, you know, you'll see me go on a whole like, you know, ethics. What are you doing? You know, going straight at news organizations that should know better. But I do advise those who are in newsrooms, especially considering what your market is. Um, we know our local markets well enough to know that some of them, pe some of the people who run your station are also doing coffee and I don't know, golf with some of the key offenders, right? So you don't really want to uh, jeopardize your livelihood in the name of, I'm taking a stance. If you are the breadwinner of a household, I would strongly suggest not to do that. If you are single and don't, you know, again, are the breadwinner of the household, I don't suggest you do that as well. You have to know the dynamic of who you're about to go up because you can do David and Goliath all you want. You might find yourself out here blackballed from the industry and then like, but I stood my ground and I stood up for myself. I'm like, yeah. And there's consequences to all that stuff. I was on an internship at channels, what is it? Okay. Let me TVH5. I have a look at my old badges. TVH5 and um, Syracuse. Uh... No, yeah, internship. I did an internship in my senior year, but I led a protest in my sophomore year. And the dang photographers from the dang, uh, who shot the thing for Channel 5 was like, why do I remember you? I'm like, huh? Like, I don't know. Small world. Yeah, it's a very small world. It was like, weren't That's you the one that was at that newspaper yelling at people? Like, 
Okay, so what had happened was I was picking an ethical stance for journalism and ethics. I'm sure you can understand that. And they were getting all kind of testy, like, how dare you do that? I'm like, how dare you not do it? That, I mean, I'm up here fighting for what we say we do as a craft, right? And when people start putting, you know, menstrual show looking cartoons in our newspaper, we got a problem. So we need to talk about that. Guess it helps our cause more to have a lot of us in the industry than outside the industry barking about the industry. It does help if we are there to be active and not there to be window dressing. If you only want to have the veneer of we care about black people, then you can miss me with that. We have black press. We can do our own. If we want to be stressed out, we'll be stressed out um, amongst our own and still be happy and proud about what we do. I am not an advocate for hire a bunch of uh, black people and then tell them to silence their thoughts and assimilate. What's the point of having them in the room then? Absolutely agreed. Uh, let me ask you more about your one of your current projects, Black Women okay. Unmuted. Yay! Um, this is something I, I'm interested in in terms of just like I've I've seen you guys out went hard for Black History Month, went hard for Women's History Month. Can you tell us more about these projects and and what it means to uh, wh- why this was founded actually? Because I, I think a lot of folks are still sort of coming to awareness of it. Yeah, we were founded about three years ago by one of my old colleagues, and I consider her a mentor, even though we were peers as we work. Um, actually, no, she's still my manager, uh, Sonia Ross uh, from the Associated Press time. I had three good years in there, and I really glommed on to the people I worked there. She was one of them. So both of us, af- like after AP, it was always a, a, a love project, a passion project she wanted to do. And I was like, oh, okay, man, I'll cover politics all the time. It'd be nice to actually center Black women since last time I checked when it comes to mobilizing voter turnout, when it comes to like, you know, getting people literally to the polls, if you had to like literally driving you to the poll and also the vote that is coveted. I was like, it makes total sense to me. So if you want to start it, sure, let's go. Uh, we have operated without grants and without like any major funding for about three years. And a lot of that was because, you know, the pandemic and frankly, getting your legs. I have started so many different news organizations that it was kind of interesting to see, like, when you don't have the big money behind you. How far can you really go? How well can this do? You know, you know how, how well can we do? And I love some of the stuff that we had a chance to do because we're the ones deciding what's newsworthy. You know, uh, we don't bury the... Um, the Stacey Abrams stories, you know, it's, it's going to be front and center because the impact in Georgia impacts the rest of the, of the country type of thing. That's... We don't bury, uh, you know, the mobilization in Alabama, um, uh, in Texas, when you had lawmakers walking out of the state house and they were like, no, um, this, we're not doing this vote. We're walking out. Like all this activism is happening. A lot of that is fueled by black women. It's powered by black women. Um, I'm a Delta. No, you know, full disclosure here. And we stay in politics. So that part, too. So you have an AK and a Delta that got together and said, all right, we want to start our own news organization and we want to center black women. And there's never been a we've never had a problem finding content. <laughs> Put it that way. If anything, it's finding the time to do the stories we want to do. And um, I was really proud of our coverage this past election season because we had a correspondent on the ground in um, Georgia. And it was a, well, it was a student correspondent. So, you know, it was a lot of like, 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 all right, you know, let's get you some food. Don't eat at the event. You know, you're kind of walking them through like what to do. But you're so proud of like, look at what we're able to do. We're offering opportunities to, um, I think in this case, I think she went to like, um, university. Is Georgia the one with the blue and the white? I don't know. Anyway, she went to school down there, but it was nice to give somebody an opportunity. Georgia to go. State. Thank you. Thank you. I'm like blue and white. I know it's blue and white. Um, giving them an opportunity to be out there in the field, but also where our coverage is there. And I love like the social media campaigns. That's fun. That's where I love to live anyway, is a, a good social media campaign. Obviously, I can turn a feature package in a heartbeat. And if it's breaking news, I got you too. Like I really have had 20 plus great years to learn how to do almost every part of this industry. And I'm able to give all of these gifts to Black Women Unmuted. It feels so amazing. Nikki, is securing a major major funding is that something that we kind of got to check off our list or do we not necessarily need it but we want it over i think we need it. it we need it yeah. and right now there's a big emergence of like non-profit um news organizations mm. uh, a, a good example is in baltimore you have the baltimore banner right and yes. um they were able to court so many people from a legacy news org like the baltimore sun which means you had to pay these people right you know like we're talking about like you know like the justin fentons of the world people writing you know stuff that's going to be on hbo later on 
So if you can find funding like that, uh, like, oh, the places you'll go. Seriously, I'm not like making this up. I wish I could say we could do it all uh, private and funded by your friends and stuff. But I've worked for enough because I think black, a lot of my black press orgs that I've worked for, they've tried to do it that way. And it just it feels like you're always suffocating financially. And that's again, that's not my ministry. I, I work too hard. I want to be paid, compensated accordingly. And we got to find ways to secure funding that does not change how we cover content. If uh, your funding dictates that, OK, but you go soft on these stories, I can't agree with that. What what is the what is the uh, is there a model, if you will, out there that you've seen or an example of a news organization that, you know, you like the way that they're funded? Not necessarily the Baltimore banner, but, you know, so, something that's black press oriented that you think represents what you would like to see for black women unmuted. I like capital B. You know, full disclosure, yeah. one of my friends works for them, but it, it kind of gives me a chance to kind of look at how it's operating. And I kind of feel confident, like. It doesn't seem like, it seems like whoever is funding them, because I don't really know which company it is. I'm not going to act like I do. Whatever company or whoever is funding the, the effort has not told them you can't cover certain things. They are okay with them centering black issues. Like that is the whole job is you report on black people nationwide. And I think they have like a localized version in Atlanta as well. I like that, that relationship. I don't know what it takes to get in that relationship though, but I would love to know because... The things I would like to see Black women unmuted do, and keep in mind, I'm a person that worked for BET and TV One and um, uh, Philadelphia Tribune and The Crisis. So I would like to see stronger resources devoted to Black press. I feel like right now um, everybody has like one or two Report for America uh, fellows, and that's nice. But again, it's like that's not enough. I want people to be competitive because otherwise you become a farm team for bigger news orgs where you're going to like get them great and then they get pilfered and taken away. I can tell you that's not enough. Having yeah. two reporters that we got a chance to hire last year, mm-hmm. two, and that, and that made the, the whole staff four, it's not enough, not enough for Black Hawks to kind of sort of be having a newsroom that's literally a, a yeah. crowd. It needs and to they, be more. I think, especially for that program, they need to have, like, you have to have guidance. Like, they have mentors they're typically green. So like if I want to have state house coverage, I'm not sure I want to send somebody who just graduated and never set their foot inside of anybody, city hall, county council, uh, state house or Capitol Hill. You know, I have I know what I want and that ain't it. So it sucks that we don't have the resource to pay people amp the way they need to be paid. Mm-hmm. And I think our news organizations do suffer. I mean, even me sitting here like, uh, I'll, you know, for the right price, I might go back in somebody's new room full time, but you better be talking for real and not some jokes, right? Yeah. I'll take my talents to where, like, I'd rather get paid less and enjoy what I'm doing and not be stressed out than getting paid mediocre or less and be stressed out and never see another weekend again. Yeah. Full full disclosure, because we brought it up, I, I used to be a screening judge for Report for America, so I'm familiar okay. with, with their, but they've obviously expanded in terms of the class of uh, fellows that are taking part at, at uh, Report for America. And so they went from, you know, what, what was it, 40, 50 people to, you know, 100 or something like that. It, it, it's a it's, crazy number. So I'm not It's involved. a great opportunity, though. Like, yeah. I mean, it's a great opportunity. No. I'm not mad, but I'm just like, okay, if I'm the manager, like putting on the manager hat again, like if I'm the manager, I'm like, how many of my newsroom is going to be brand newbies that I have to like literally... Journalism 101. Okay, when you go to the state house, don't take food from anybody. Sit your behind down there. They might yeah. take your camera. Okay, have a pen. Have a notepad. You know, if I had to do all that, I'm like, uh-uh. No. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they actually started this new program. And I don't mm-hmm. want to get too deep into this because it's their program. And mm-hmm. I don't have nothing to do with it anymore. But like... <laughs> But like they started this program where they started asking for more experienced journalists to come back into the fold and maybe they might pay you a little bit more, but it's not, it's still not that much. And, it, you know, it still requires a match from the host news organization and all of those things. So there's some interesting developments, if you will, on that once, side. I mean, that's great. I mean, once I, I, I became a national correspondent early. So once I became a national correspondent, I'm like, you have to hit me with the finances if you want me to sit out here and be stressed out over all the death, injury and destruction of the world. 
It can't just be because of the love of the, of the thing. I've been doing it too long at this point. So that's interesting that you mentioned being a national correspondent, because actually that's one of the reasons why Donnell wanted to talk to you today. Yes, because I'm jealous of you. I've been jealous of you for years. And why? one of the reasons why I'm jealous of you is because you have been on two shows that I love, but one in particular, and that's Snapped. You were the correspondent on a couple episodes of Snapped. Okay, so you're worse than my mom. When I said I was a natural correspondent, I was talking like Associated Press, radio right. team, you know, mm. like the list. You're like, okay, no, the murder, death, kill shows. Okay, those. Yes, I do though. I do them very often. Yes. Yes. If it's a Baltimore case or a D.C. case, I typically get tapped to help um, with the recaps of what happened. Wow. And um, what I like to remind people about is that while I've observed recently that some folks are just kind of popping up there and I'm like, okay, you've never covered anything in your life. Okay. Um, <laughs> please know. This sounds really gross, but my body count is very high. I have covered a lot of sad, horrible stories, a lot of dead bodies and a lot of coming up to a murder scene and everything is laid out. Crime scene, white sheets over bodies and the little tents to mark where bullet casings and everything has been. So unfortunately, my general assignment uh, reporting days, especially in Buffalo, whoo, child, have always been like is it a crime or politics, which frankly, they can kind of go together. <laughs> but yes, crime or politics, crime or politics. And um, when they started to approach me about Baltimore cases, in a lot of cases, I was probably in the market and it wasn't my beat because when I was in Baltimore, most of my reporting, Crofton's different. But when I was in Baltimore, most of my reporting was on the lifestyles and lighter stuff. That was God's gift to me. I got two whole years of doing happy news. But nope. Uh, I, they found me and they were like, hey, are you familiar with this case? Like, I am. And like, all right, well, we want to get you started and have you do these stories. So yes, I do True Crime Monday on TV One. And I'm also in episodes of Snapped. And Snapped has different parts, by the way. There's like Snap Killer Couples. Oh, like they, they branched out. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Yes. Um, the ID channel and um, Oxygen. So all yeah. of those. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm on all I, of those. I think my I think my wife first saw you on the ID channel. I was, I was like, "Oh, that's Nikki." <laughs> yes, and, and I have an interesting voice, so you know, you'll hear me talking in the other room, and it's like for a television person, I'm like, "Yeah, that's right." So people are like Nikki, I heard you talking. Like, yeah, and you stopped, didn't you? There you go. Like, that's what we're going for in TV because we know you're not watching us, but if you hear us and you're like, "Whoa, wait a minute, I gotta pay attention," and these stories are crazy. But yes, right. Donnell, you're worse than my mom. Because my mom is like, I would send, I would make, you're old now, I would burn DVDs of my work and send them home from Florida, from Tennessee, from Buffalo. I'm like, here are the latest reports because I'm out of market and I want my parents to see what I do. That's right. I have DVDs of my work covering bad stories like what you see on staff and mm -hmm. on Justice Binding Ma uh, Means and For My Man and Fatal all these attraction. things. And Fatal Attraction, of course, yes. Um, and um, what was the last one like? payback so i'm on all of these and technically for every crime story there probably is something similar to that that happened but the package was only like you know two minutes sure um she's like but i love these more i'm like why i have questions it's the storytelling it's the storytelling he's right it's the and i love that they add a real journalist in the middle of it like you got your yeah. all the footage and all that stuff is cool but to have a real report in the middle always yeah. attracted me Always. We're trying to tell you um, what I'm like. It's not scripted for me. It's like they'll ask like, OK, so what can you tell me about Baltimore? What can you tell me about D.C. at a certain time? I had one killer couple. No, it was a killer couple. Had one fail attraction where it was a love triangle over in the U Street area in D.C. And it was like, you know, three guys that they had a friendship. They had a, a tryst of sorts. And then they had two because somebody went missing. And it's like, you know, being able to like remind myself like, okay, well, you said it happened around 2004. Yeah, okay. I know exactly how it was in 2004. I was working in the area and everything at that time. I was just covering more Prince George's County stuff at that time. So they're asking you questions that you as a journalist who has covered the region should know. And if you happen to be the reporter on the case, that's a double win. So anytime mm -hmm. you see me, you'll probably see Keith Alexander from the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. And Keith lives in the courts lives in like everybody's gonna rain keeps there so that's his that's his bag that's his lane Pulitzer Prize winning and everything like that I'm there because I know the area well enough to know and as you can tell I tell a crazy story so yeah absolutely. I make y'all sit around for a while yes. 
He's crazy. I've had some oh. crazy episodes. I'm serious. Wait, 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 Zuri, Zuri. I'm not done yet because this is yeah. this is blowing my mind here. Yeah. So they'll call you up and say, hey, Nikki, how you doing? Mm-hmm. This is, we got an episode here that happened in Baltimore hit this time. What what do you know about that? That's awesome. That's like, how the conversation starts. And then they're like, okay, if I know enough, they're like, okay, well, we're going to have you come in. And um, they'll tell me also, so I'm not completely blindsided, who um, connected to the victim they have to talk about these cases. Uh, in some cases, like you've heard the story so many times that you're like, you're trying to like block out the misinterpretations of what happened and just stick to, well, this is what we knew at the time. And this is what we know as journalists now. Because it's easy to really get caught in like, well, I heard they used to do. I'm like, well, you can hear a lot of things. I can only go by the things I can attribute that part, right? I did have one where the one that everyone loves is the Josephine Gray story out of Baltimore where she's like the Black Widow. They call her like uh, the Baltimore Black Widow, right? Mm-hmm. Even though technically she was from the Prince George's and Montgomery County area, so much Montgomery County area. So they blaming us because she was dropping the bodies in Baltimore. But OK, I digress. But with her, there was an a an, an, uh, level of uh, voodoo and Santeria involved. Right. So, you know, if you're not a journalist, like, oh, yeah, let me make this salacious. I'm sitting here like, eh, OK, keep in mind that it's somebody's whole religion and faith and culture. So. And also, I, I'm from the South, so... Well, my family's from the South, so uh, we're not going to play these games, okay? Like, they said she was into voodoo. They said she did this, they being the law enforcement people who found the, you know, found the shrine in her house. And that's about as far as I'm going to go into that. And they're like, and the guys are going crazy, right? I'm like, I don't know what the guys did. I just know they're not here no more. Mm-hmm. So she could have been doing root work. She could have been doing voodoo. I don't know. Whatever I know is that I'm giving y'all facts. I'm leaving at that. She's still locked up, so she's still alive, and she could possibly rig some stuff. So I'm good. Yeah, a, a, a reminder to stay journalistically principled in these in these situations, hey, yeah. no matter the That's platform, right? right? That's and, right. Yeah. and we appreciate you for that. Yeah. Uh, Nikki, I want to ask you about another aspect of what you do, and that is also social media. And mm-hmm. this is an expertise of yours. Um, it's demonstrated by you on a daily basis. I'm a oh, follower yeah. on I, unfortunately multiple platforms so i see messages sometimes Little. you know two three times um and i always know when you're pushing something <laughs> hey, <laughs> in listen. terms of campaigns for whether it's black women unmuted or, or something else mm-hmm. uh, but I, but i do i do think we're at an interesting point for social media right now and particularly when it comes to twitter i mean we have this like existential crisis going on with the uh owner of twitter being and i want to just say generously erratic in terms of policy and how things are being happen or, 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 you know, being played out on the platform. And I wanted to get your sense of whether or not this is a, a place that it has a long-term home for journalists, which, you know, have, uh, you know, again, generously been addicted to the platform for some years now. There's always something new. Okay. So like if Twitter decides to totally implode, cause it seems like it almost is there. But uh, there's always another social media network to go to. Most recently, NPR found out that, I mean, decided that they're just not going to do Twitter um, as a corporate entity. Yeah. So it's one of those things of like, I've had to run social media things since about 2007. And I think that's when we all can kind of point to where, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter and everything really start to like kind of blossom overwhelmingly take over our lives. And as a result of it, I'm always ready for the next thing anyway. I, I don't get to marry to, oh, my God, they take Twitter away. What do I do? I'll just move it to whatever the next thing is. Now, I'm not quick to just pick up every social media network because there's so many. I already have enough. And I even started to scale back since I do like, um, you know, I offer marketing-ish skills on the side for people who I will never cover. Um, I scale it down. I tell people, you don't have to be on everything. Be on the stuff that you're most effective on. But for journalists, when it comes to Twitter, I'm like, don't melt down. If Twitter goes, there'll be something else. Right now, we all have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, TikTok. And if you can use it effectively, your voice should be the same messaging, but maybe tweak your voice a little bit for each one. Where do you, where do you find yourself in journalists like yourself uh, congregating right now? Is it still Twitter? Is it something else? What, what, are, what are you seeing? It's still Twitter. It's successful out there, but we're still out there. It ain't like we ain't been in like, you know, grimy situations before. It's the equivalent of sitting outside a courthouse in the rain and being annoyed by the whole situation. But we're here, though. <laughs> like, we're not leaving. Everyone's like, I'm leaving Twitter. Okay, all the all the 
artists and entertainers like, I ain't leaving Twitter. I'm going to. And they kept throwing up these different places. And then two weeks later, they're like, so y'all still over here? Yep. Yeah. It's a network <laughs> effect. <laughs> it is. Network effect. Everybody's still there. And, and I'm one of those people who is, you know, I think, you know, disgusted by quite a bit of what I've seen on Twitter. Not from the ownership, just but just the audience and, and there's the sort of what you call cesspool, I, I think is an accurate description of sort of the toxicity of the platform. Um, oh it's, it's just not a good place to have good conversations. And it so, is not at all. It sucks. I am so in awe of the people who you could tell like uh, 2016 was the worst. Okay. Absolutely. The, oh, it was the worst. And I worked for AP. So I had to hold back so much. It was pissing me off. It was horrible. And then that first inauguration that we had for the president at that time, whoo, it was painful. And then one of y'all's HBCU decided to come out there with a band. And I'm like, I'm at AP and I'm just saying, okay, I'm just going to do play by play on Twitter. That's going to be the safe place for me. So there's no commentary involved in that. I will not get called into anybody's office. So I'm just like posting up stuff like, and the Tougaloo band and um, Chrisette Michelle, you know, like, yes. I'm, I'm doing the black version of a very interesting inauguration, right? And the amount of MAGA love I got, I'm like, y'all were the same people that were sending me all these horrible little, like, peppy frog things a couple weeks ago. They're like, these great Americans. I'm like, really? Really? Y'all are some interesting folks out here. So Twitter is a hot mess. The people who are on there, I got, I get harassed regularly about some stuff that went down like 2000, I think 18 or something, where some anchor in Baltimore, she lost her job because she said some racist stuff on TV. But every time somebody finds an article on that, the MAGA folks come find me. So I'm like, Twitter is just like, do y'all ever see the people that follow y'all? It would is messy say, out here. Would you yes. say Would you say you're addicted to it as well? I'm addicted to all social media. I'm a social person. Again, yeah. level 30, Myers-Briggs up in this piece. are <laughs> <laughs> like, stream extrovert over here. You're like, you were in my pointer class. You know how this went down. Oh, yeah. So it's like, you know, I like all things social. I get my energy and revive from, like, you know, the people around me. So sometimes I have to shut it off because I'm like, ooh, it's just, ooh, it's ghetto. Like, the earth is ghetto. I want to leave ghetto. I don't like this. Uh, but uh, I like, um, I think if you ask me, like, what was my preferred social media network? It's Instagram with a dash of Facebook because Instagram is more like, well, now I'm obsessed with TikTok. I ain't gonna lie, but it's still not like for the engagement of me being a part of it. I still like Instagram more than I like TikTok. That might be my age showing right there. Is, it, is that a, on a personal level or is it on a professional journalistic level? Um... Instagram's still more on a personal and professional because searchability and screenshotting things and starting your story there. Uh, as I do classroom visits and with the older students that I talk to, I try to remind them that your story can start on social media. It cannot only be on social media. You don't know who's running these accounts. Uh, with this verification, pay some money, you, you too can be verified yeah. stuff. No, I, I need... And they hate that. Like, well, I saw this. They were wrong. Because you have all these bad examples out here. People like doing entire story. Like, well, they source uh, feedback from social media. Okay. Was there at least one paragraph or two in there where they gave you some facts? No. Then that was bad. Call it what it is. It was trash. It was bad. I at least want to see, give me some facts and then tell me what people said about it. I love that part. And I think a lot of people love that part. I mean, we're on a podcast. We want to hear people have conversations about right. things. Um, I... I love and hate TikTok because I have no control over the algorithms and I swear they just seem worse on TikTok than anything else. Facebook doesn't really have a weird algorithm thing. Like, I think they kind of just show me people that I know. Instagram is doing that thing again where they're trying to show you people like, like, what is this for? I don't know these people. But for the most part, they show me people that I know and things I'm interested in. TikTok, if I click on one horrible pimple popping picture, I'm, st I'm inundated That's with it. pimple popping. That's it. You know, it's over. <laughs> it's like it, it's over. I'm like I didn't mean to night. do this. I am sorry. It's like a venereal disease. I'm gonna get rid of this. Away. You gotta throw yes. that away. No, hold down. Just <laughs> throw it all away. It's like I didn't. I just. I, I was like, what is this? Oh, 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 gross. And I'm like, next time I'm like, more. I'm like, oh, and you're like terrorized by your algorithm on TikTok. If they can teach us, or if they can shift it so that you can say, I don't want to see this anymore. Fine. 
because I enjoy my guilty pleasure right now is looking at Passport Bros uh, com- commentary and oh boy. videos. It's like my guilty pleasure because it's such a train wreck. I love watching it. I'm sorry. It's funny as heck. The equivalent to me watching snaps. Like, you know, is it bad? Oh, they're terrible. They are horrible. They are horrible. They're but so you, horrible, but it's but like I can't turn away. You will be entertained. There's no question about that. Yeah, and now no it's like what it does is like I want my algorithm to show me more of this crazy train wreck of a, of a conversation. What it started to do is show me a lot of more hotepy stuff. And I'm like, this is not what I meant. No, no, no. no, no, no. I, I want way. I want the sad guy who's getting accosted in Brazil and in Thailand. I want bad news. This is funny. I want to see all the stuff that he's saying. <laughs> So I can't control my algorithm. So until I learn how to, I, I'm like, TikTok? <sighs> Nikki, is there anything good about Twitter? If you had um, to name something good about it, what would you? What would it be? Okay, so I'm still a fan of threads. I am notorious for a good thread, okay? I will sit here and plot out a thread or uh, right. like with our coverage with Black History Month and Women's History Month. A thread is fun to me because if they discover one, they discover the whole darn thing. I'm like, I am here for it, which is good for a rant too, by the way. Also with Twitter, the ability to... I'm still here for the original use that I saw of it, which was started around like when Scandal was a, a thing on ABC. Right. And the way we like, okay, Scandal Thursdays, like everybody got on there and watched together in real time football and, and basketball tournaments. We watch it on real time. We're chiming in together. It's communal. I love that. So I'm still, I'm still here with Twitter. I mean, you kind of, you take the good, you take the bad. Like, you know, it's McDonald's. There's something good in there, but we know this isn't healthy. Mm. It's killing uh, you, you know, at the same time. Or, and I'm I'm sitting here at this moment in time. I have tried maybe like, I don't know, three or four different alternatives. How'd that work out? Spoutable, Mastodon, Post. None of Is them. anyone on it to make it fun? Exactly. Yeah. Yes and no. Yes and okay. no. Is it anyone on it that I want? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, that's right. a whole other question. There's a lot of people on these platforms. Spoutable in mm-hmm. particular is getting huge. You know, like they also feel, you know, like a bunch of people who are very upset with Twitter. And okay. I mean, that's a thing. So it, it d- depends. I mean, how big they get and whether or not actual news organizations start to transition over there. That's when it'll be a sticky place for me. Right now, it's just yeah. like I'm just checking in. But if the news orgs, mm-hmm. you know, NPR, again, we just we just mentioned it. They just quit Twitter earlier today. Wow. For good. They start saying that they're going to stick around and like in, in other organizations yeah. like that, say they're going to start sticking around some of these other places like Mastodon. I might be there more. Yeah, it's not like it's the end of the world if one of these goes. Again, I've been doing social media stuff since like 2007, you know, live, live posting. Like I'll find a Facebook, make a Facebook thread and just start live posting from county council and court and stuff like that. Like I've been using them. The same skill set can transfer to whatever social media comes out you just got to figure out well how does this one work like a new board game they pretty much the idea is still to win so how does it work how do i get my information on there how do i push people to either our newscast our online product our our verticals that's all you're doing so i I remind folks just do not get so invested that you can't take your toys and go somewhere else um when i make videos when i make i sit and you know plot out a social media campaign it's designed to go across all the different mediums with a little bit of a change to the verbiage, depending on who my audience is. But the key thing is the the method is still there. We're trying to get a message, information out. We want to inform. It doesn't matter what social media platform you put it on. It still should be doing the same objective, which is to inform. People get lost in the personality part of social media. And that was burning a lot of journalists, especially newbies, sadly, because they didn't know that. It's one of those things where you had the, as a newbie and as a younger person, you're like, well, that's my first language is social media. Okay, cool. But I need you to learn how to use this in a professional setting. If you don't learn how to use this, you might lose your job. And I've seen people lose their jobs for just like posting something and thought it was cheeky and cute and boom, now they're getting called into HR and ain't got no job. So that's a lesson that it's evolving and knowing that social media policies are extra evolving, um, knowing as a black person that you often have a crosshairs on your back or, you know, target on your back by your colleagues. So you don't want to give them any extra guidance to ammunition to, to shoot you in the back. But what well, did you see what they did on social media? 
I was getting docs like crazy, but I was also independent. So I was like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, like, like, wait till we find out where you work. But you didn't. So that part. But for those who did have very visible, you knew where they worked. Um, when everything was going down in 2018, when that one lady lost her job, I had to tell local journalists, like, do me a favor. <laughs> Let's not lose your job. Okay. It's like, yeah, don't get involved. <laughs> like, like, I know how you feel. And keep in mind, like, these are my peers. And, and what I loved about that whole scenario was there were some old school heads who had been unceremoniously dismissed many a times in the same market. They were like, they were in my DMs talking about, that's right. She deserved it. I didn't even get to say goodbye. or I'm like, like They were just going in. And I'm like, if people knew the stuff that Black folks were going through in these newsrooms, they would understand why sometimes we have to be a little bit more vocal. And even with that, I'm strategic as heck. I was a leader in the organization at the time. So I was like, let me, let me take it. I need you to stay on your job. <laughs> like, I, do not need the, I do not need the white folks at your job pissed off at you. I do not need the viewers and the listeners and the readers to come at you with their old school, you know, style of hate trying to bring it in. We are fighting for our liberation here. And I happen to have a good reputation and history and a lot of experience in doing this. So plus I wasn't like hired by anybody locally because trust me, if I was, I would not have been hired much longer. They would have found a way to get rid of my black out of there. Sorry, I mean, curse, but you can bleep that part. That's but that, right. it's just knowing that um, you have to be strategic in your approach. If you go in with the bull in the china shop thing, like, I'm just going to blow all this up, you probably won't get the desired effect. Yeah, absolutely. Or you'll have a trend, you'll have a tweet that trends for three, four hours, and now the damage won't is done. equate to the cool feeling you have when everybody's retweeting it. Yeah. Right. Like, the damage, when the damage is done and you're being, uh, docs and inundated with a whole bunch of peppy frog looking thing and people are just telling you how much you know they're showing you just how racist they really can be or how sexist they really can be you know having folks like tweet you stuff like i hope somebody rapes you i hope somebody kills you i hope somebody you know stabs you you're just saying like do y'all even know this lady y'all are caping for i'm just trying to figure out like was she spit if your house was on fire no but here you are attacking me if anything you just kind of use this uh using the angel reese out um backlash and you know all that stuff you know i'm a black woman we're going to be a target no matter what a lot of folks hate us sadly some of our men hate us so it's like you kind of get used to people being ready to attack you we're human not superhuman we're not like mystical negroes here but it's just one of those things where you're like when folks start showing you like this is really how y'all are huh okay all right take it to heart believe that mess and it, it does like I have mentees, I have one that's a woman, one that's not, a, um, one that's a man, and you know, kind of helping her navigate how unfair life can be in this industry. And you're just trying to tell people stories, but when folks get mad at you, they show how uh, the misogynoir is loud, it's amplified, and they're yeah. comfortable doing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Nikki, I wanted to ask you. Um, I know we're at the at past our time here, but I wanted to ask you on a hopeful note. What are you hopeful about for this industry? And what are you telling those those mentees of yours in, in terms of advice to, you know, prepare them for this industry and prepare them for the, I guess, the difficulties of the things that you're seeing? Uh, to be hopeful is to be realistic at the same time. Right now, um, meaning like in 2023, so 2020, people decided that they couldn't get away from the George Floyd thing because like, we have to show we care. And that launched a ton of newsroom initiatives and things that are supposed to be geared toward equity and uh, allowing us to tell our stories without telling us to water it down because we're being um, we're, we're not being objective enough. I feel like if we can ride this newfound interest in black issue, then we're in a good place because we can start to get ourselves in position to be decision makers, shot callers, if you will and uh, improve how journalism works. If we do not capitalize on this time, or if we allow old school crap to go and float, then we're in trouble because we're just going to go right back to having to silence our experiences, our lived experiences at that. And um, our job being seen as you're only doing a good job if you're echoing that of, frankly, your white counterparts. I don't like the idea of us ignoring our experiences. And I love that. I mean, hopeful that people continue to listen to us when we say that there is an extra amount of um, 
like I know I feel it when it's an intersectional thing versus it a black thing is it a woman thing. And sometimes I'm confused, but normally I could tell when it's like this is a combination of I wasn't going to win here at all and uh, perceived uh, perception prejudice about who I must be before I even have a chance to introduce myself. That I don't want us to continue to go back to. We have to push it tooth and nail. I like the energy of everybody wanting to be a journalist. I do balk at, and I have made many a threads about this, people who want to play journalists and they want a journalism merit badge. I, I do feel like we have to do a better job of identifying I am a journalist. You are not. You are blogging. You are yes. potting. You are doing something else. I don't know what it is. And it's okay. But it's not journalism. No. I, I'm hopeful that you know, I am worried about that aspect of it, but I like the fact that as I talk to classes, college classes in particular, I'm seeing almost like a little bit of a surge and more people want to become journalists. And I'm hoping that they'll take these skills and make us proud and uh, fill the, the newsrooms with the necessary diversity. I feel like when I was coming out of school, a lot of the diversity they said they wanted, we were getting robbed of. And this is like circa 2001 where I felt like they were like, we want more black people in the newsroom. But then they were going to get like people that were not from America, black people. And then they were not. I'm like, it made me so mad because I'm like, I am such a pan African chick. But I'm like, but, but wait, though, you don't want to get somebody who has no awareness of the ish that y'all done did historically here. We come, come fix that. You know, we can go further on that. We can always say, oh, you want to get somebody black from. D.C., for instance, or Baltimore, for instance. And then when you hire somebody black, they're from somewhere completely different. Like, I mean, it's, I, it's, it, yeah, it's always I a want thing. that. Like, I, I, I just want there to be some level of ownership and, the, and um, dedication to the audience because we're serving people. I know it looks so... And I've been in a broadcast world for most of my career, but I'd say multimedia because that's what I am. But I know when you put the light on yourself and you, like, you're sitting there with the camera and stuff like that, light camera action, like, it's all about you. Like, no, it's about the audience that we say that we are yes. serving, okay? That's the goal. If you're not here to serve our audience and to give them information, to advocate, like a watchdog of sorts advocate, then this ain't it. <laughs> there's other things you can do. They're selling microphones like hotcakes. Go have a podcast. You know, there's other stuff you can do outside saying, oh, Whoa. journalist. I'm just saying, like, at least you guys <laughs> <Yeah>. work. <laughs> well, it's a podcast, but at least you work as journalists. There are people who are just like, I, just, I got a podcast, so I'm a journalist. Like, no, Joe Button, you oh, are not. No, you, Joe Button, you're not. And Complex needs to be smacked for that list they just put out talking about music journalists. I'm like, I, I couldn't count one on there. Thank you. Like, these are the things you can say when you don't work for other people. Like, okay. That's true. Like, that list was trash. I'm like, you have Joe Button and Carisha on here. Is this what we're doing today? Mm -hmm. They're journalists no. to them. No. How? Charlamagne Portia God is Williams? A oh, God, no. Portia is a journalist. Because she tossed she, the microphone and she saw something yesterday in the street and she just told you about it. So she, oh my <laughs> she's reporting from her world. I'm holding back my commentary on Fox Soul because oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give it a chance to show me that you're not what I think you are. Mm. But I'm getting Trojan horse vibes here, okay? Straight up. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, I've it, worked was for it enough. The name? Was it the name? The <laughs> Fox part? <laughs> the affiliation? The Soul You part? had to call I, it Soul. It was, you it had to say it. Soul. <laughs> I'm like, everybody, like, I work for Fox. So I'm like, it's Fox. I work for Fox. So it's Fox. Yeah. It's Fox. It's yeah. Fox. It's Fox. I'm like, y'all, am I the only one? I want black people to work. I do. But it's still Fox. And I'm like, eventually, I just, something about covering 2016 and the road to the White House mm. and seeing how quickly information was getting mismanaged in black, um, I don't say news, but in black forums. And seeing how we were being targeted, whether it be Russia, uh, you know, uh, camps in Nigeria. I don't know where this stuff was coming from, but I could tell there was a concentrated effort to shift conversations in the black community. And it makes me very nervous. So I'm like, when you're already a little bit like, I'm skeptical of everybody who says, I'm doing black stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. Right. But it literally says Fox on it. Y'all. But it says soul, though. I mean, it's black. Unless you're telling me it's Fox 5 here in D.C., I ain't about that life. Because I'm like, that's the only time I've seen Fox not be, like, cringy. It's still Fox. Fox 5 Atlanta's pretty solid. Pretty solid. Yeah, it's weird when you see them and they're like, you're like, so you're a Fox, huh? I could totally right. tell. Like, you know, 
No, they do have a couple, like, uh, they had, like, one talk show on the station where I'm like, okay, okay, fine. But everything else is, like, it's legit just basic news. It's not falling privy to, you know, the Sinclair conundrum where everything is, like, you know, burka bands and we hate them, those other people othering um, anybody who is not, like, waspy or whatever. I... I really, the reason I dedicated, dedicated so much of my vision board to, okay, do more media literacy outreach is because I want people to understand that there are differences in the information that you're getting and we need you to be a better consumer of that stuff because I'm not, there's no, we're not able to stop it on the front end. People no. get money. They got a, they got a whole other content product. And, um, I like the, I, I do like this part because I'm, you say hopeful. I like the fact that black voices are finding their space, you know, and black journalists are finding like we black people, black Twitter is a thing. Okay. So black people know how to use social media to move something. Black journalists know how to use social media to um, amplify the stories. Like I was honestly using social media more so in Buffalo because I had the dry, I'm in court stories or I had the dry, sadly, somebody got killed stories. So I was like, well, I want to make sure that people are seeing this stuff. Yes. So I started my following. My following is like, how people like, okay, what's Nikki working on today? And that's where I kind of saw how this, this social media thing can work for me. And that's circa 2009, 2010, right? We are very good with this. And I love seeing, um, I don't say next generation, but just, I love seeing journalists because it's not even just next generation. It's like just black journalists in general. Yes. When you're not getting the amplified messaging that you want from your news organization, like, fine, I'll motivate it myself. You know, I will amplify it and I will make it move. And then if that's what gets your uppers, uh, your manager's attention, okay, great. But it also is smart and it behooves an individual journalist to promote your stuff because you never know when you might need to bounce, okay? You got a brand to take with you. Thank you. Your brand is you. They cannot take your brand from you. They can take your Twitter account. They can take anything that has the station call letters or the masthead or the name on it but it cannot take who you are. Absolutely. That's a good place to end right there. Nikki, thank you so much for your time and, and your insights. And there's so many jewels that you've just dropped here, but I appreciate your perspective. So thank you. Thank you. A lot of fun, Nikki. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you, Zuri. Thank you, Donnell. Appreciate it.